the Purpose Driven Entrepreneur Podcast. We're all about delivering great content, thoughtful discussions, and tips and tricks to help you truly get the most out of your life and business. And here's your charismatic host, me, Matt Browning. Hey, it's Matt Browning. Welcome back to the pod. Hope you've been having a great week. Last uh, episode on Tuesday, I had a great conversation about can your clients change your stripes and bringing, uh, bringing the right message and the right product to the right place in the right marketplace. If you haven't listened to it, go back in the archives. It's the last episode. Check it out. I think you'll really, really dig it. I also talked a little bit about the book uh, coming out and the next few uh, stop release dates that are coming up. So as we get more on the tour, I will let you know more and keep you up to speed if I'm coming to your town. Uh, my publisher is actually working out. This is pretty cool for if you're in different areas. Uh, my publisher is working out some book signings at uh, local bookstores for every city I'm going to be in, uh, especially the ones I'm going to be doing some TV. So I have uh, Vegas and Phoenix coming up in September. I'll give you more on that as it gets closer uh, and once we lock down where it's going to be. So we'll have a bunch of cities and dates. You can check them out and come out and visit and say hi. Come see me. I'd love to... Uh, if I know you, I'd love to hang out with you. If I don't know you yet, I'd love to meet you. So it'll be a lot of fun. Let's get into this week. This week is really cool. I'm, of course, still in Scotland as we record this, finishing up our UK tour. This is a non-business-related tour, just hanging out with my family, taking three weeks off. But somewhere in between, I find a nice little Airbnb that has some good Wi-Fi, record a couple episodes of the pod, and get out to you because you wait for no man. You wait for no UK tour. It doesn't matter what's going on. I want to make sure that you get your double dose every week of this awesome pod. So this week is no exception. Sean Stewart's my guest. You are going to love this person. I talked a little bit about him in the last episode. Let me tell you about Sean and why uh, uh, why you want to listen to him. And, and, uh, and I'm going to tell you about why I love him so much. So I've been friends with Sean for a number of years now. He's an entrepreneur and a coach in the same space as I am, a transformational leader. Um, he also, what's cool about Sean is he's a transformational leader and a coach. He's also an artist. He has a background as a spoken word poet, as a rapper. He was like the original Eminem before Eminem. Um, in fact, we even talked about in the interview, that was his dream to be a successful white rapper. And then Eminem hit the scene. And he was like, oh, man. He was probably only 16 or 20 years old at the time. A uh, pretty young guy when Eminem hit the scene. But, you know, that would kind of like dash the dreams. And he said, well, what, what other direction can I go into? So we talk a ton about about artistry and and really like tapping into both sides of the creative side and almost the analytical engineering side and how important that is as an entrepreneur and really as an everyday human how to do that. There's a lot of people who live their whole life really on one side or the other. And as powerful as that can be, you can go down in history as a you know a Van Gogh who's deeply emotional and artistic, um, or uh, Buckminster Fuller who was an incredible mind and an engineer. Not known for artistry, but known for creativeness in the engineering field and, and the logic he brought to the world. You can go down that road, but for most of us, if we want to have a great, successful, enjoyable life, it's all about being able to grab the pieces and the resources from different parts of our brain and different uh, parts of our strengths. So Sean is a perfect person to talk about that. Uh, what else about Sean? He was trained by Tony Robbins. He went through all of Tony's technologies. Um, he was featured as an expert. He's been on NBC News, on Fox, and the New York Times, and he's really, really good at 
teaching entrepreneurs like us how to do high-end sales, so high-ticket sales. But he also, again, spends most of his time doing the, what's called the creative track. That's his business, is the creative track. Uh, we talk about what it's like growing up with a dad who was an uh, Academy Award-nominated screenwriter. So he recounts a really cool story about how his dad was typing away on the typewriter, the old-school typewriter, right, in the early 80s, writing on the screenplay, getting ready for uh, writing a movie that introduced John Travolta to the world. And Sean's over here in the corner playing with his crayons and writing his own stuff, you know, doing his art. We talk about what it's like to have one parent who's a little more uber spiritual and introduces Sean to that side of life. Whereas, again, the dad was more uh, artistic. Um, we talk about routines versus spontaneity. That was a really great conversation. So for, for a high creative, you know, how do you value routine and, and, and keeping things the same versus how do you uh, engage in spontaneity and changing things and, and what's more powerful and which one did he like? Um, and ultimately, this is one of the best parts. It really got, we talk about his kids, uh, well, his kid and the kid coming along the way. Um, but the big question I asked you towards the end, and I think you'll really dig this. Uh, so towards the end of the interview, about 40 minutes in or so, I said, can you set yourself up for success based on improving systems? And again, it, we, we kind of went down this rabbit hole of what's life like for a creative-minded person, an artist, as it were, but living life in the real world and business and uh, you know time management and all that kind of thing. So it was really a big question of, can I remain artistic and true to myself? At the same time, can I adapt systems? Can I make time systems or, or physical systems in the house? You know, things that I have to rely on that, that I almost, you know, create routine for myself that'll support the creativity. So we get into all that and more and have a really tremendous conversation. Uh, so without any further ado, let's get into Sean Stewart. So dude, we, uh, we're finally here. I've been waiting for this for a little while, actually a long while. Uh, when, when I launched this podcast, one of the, the people that came to my mind genuinely that I really wanted to spend some time with is you. So uh, Sean Douglas Stewart, how are you, my friend? I'm great. What a pleasure to be here. And that's an awesome thing for, for me to hear you say that. Thanks so much. Absolutely. Well, like there's, you know, we're both in this, you know, coaching expert space and um, we've, we've been friends and I'll say friends to a certain level, right? Like I've spent time around you. I really like you. Um, you know, I think we know each other pretty well, but at the same time, I realized just before we went to tape, I was saying how we've never really just sat down and had an hour together. And so I'm really looking forward to, to just knowing you more. And that's what I hope to, uh, to get accomplished today. Yeah, me too, man. Really looking forward to that. Nice. So you're in San Diego now, right? I am. Yeah. Where, where did you grow up? I grew up in Los Angeles. I grew up in Santa Monica, in Malibu, um, basically, oh, Hollywood Hills. So, oh, so that explains places. a lot. Yeah, it does. The, <laughs> the creative aspect of you. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, my dad's an Academy nominated screenwriter. So I grew up like in the heart of sort of the Hollywood movie scene in a lot of ways. And Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, so the school that I went through was went to was called Crossroads High School in Santa Monica, and so it was just filled with like the sons or daughters of big known movie or film or music people. So it was an interesting environment. Mm -hmm. What uh, 
when you were like a like in grade school, was it sort of like that too? Did, was your dad always in that as long as you can remember, or did, is that yeah. something you got into when you got older? Well, he did Officer and a Gentleman, his like one of his biggest movies. It, it was in '82, so you know mm-hmm. I'm '76, so you know. But he was doing film and TV film. He did The Boy in the Plastic Bubble, which had John, which introduced John Travolta to the world about like with Bubble Boy made a yeah, I remember kind of Bubble Boy parody of. The movie my dad what it was a tv movie so originally called boy in the plastic bubble so that was in the 70s so my dad's always kind of been in the movie industry since i've been alive wow so as a kid was was he or did you grow up with your mom and dad both or just dad or yeah they they split when i was six but i was okay. growing up with both of them and and having a dad that's like really in like entertainment and everything what was he was he home a lot was he off on the road a lot was it what what was that like as a kid growing up you know he was home a lot because as a screenwriter his you know his work is to be in front of the typewriter at that time i mean he didn't he didn't move over to the computer <laughs> for a long for a while there but you know he's you know in front of the typewriter um starting around 5 30 a every day this is his routine like even now um, oh, wow. always up you know writing from like 5 30 to noon or something like that um, so he's there, you know, writing and you can just picture me with a bunch of crayons and paper on the floor, sort of, you know, by my dad doing the creative stuff. Totally. Did, so speaking of, so a lot of what we're going to talk about, I know, is is the creative artistic side of, of life and you. And um, I've, I love having the pleasure to connect with artistic people. I say that because I feel like like a little bit of an alien when it comes to that, because I just I don't have an artistic bone in my body. Um, I love it. I really appreciate it, but I don't know that I could truly appreciate art at the level, right? Someone like you could, um, because it's like, so in your, in your bones, you know, it's like, you, yeah. like it's just there. Yeah. So when I go to a museum, I go, Oh, that's really pretty. But someone like you all bet you can go to a, you know, a museum and be like, wow, like, look at the feeling of this. <laughs> <laughs> and I just don't have it. Have you always been that way? Like, were you like a, a little boy next to your dad with the crayons? Like, was it drawing? Yeah. Was it writing? Like, what was the first artistic stuff that came out? It was drawing. I was really into drawing and pictures and whatever it was, crayons, or I don't remember the different modalities. If I was, I got into oil painting later on. So I, I was always into uh, art. My mom brought me to a lot of uh, galleries and art shows. So going back to what you're saying, like, I was kind of, um, you know, given a lot of opportunity to, to have those conversations. Wow, this is whatever. I don't know if I, like, I feel the emotion of this, but there are plenty of <laughs> conversations that, you know, I had with my mom, especially looking at art and, and mm-hmm. be kind, sort of being in the world of, of sort of galleries and so forth. Um, but uh, for me, it was, yeah, I was drawing. And then at a certain point, this was later when I was in college, um, I started getting into spoken word poetry. And I, I was scared to get up on stage and share that because I had never been kind of on a mic at that point. And it was just an open mic at a, at a coffee shop in where I went to college at UC Santa Cruz. But that became sort of once I had broke through that, that became an entire new type of art that I moved towards that I never, I never have gone back from. It became like the, the art for me is kind of expression through words and lyrics. Did, so, so ex- explain spoken word poetry just for so everyone like understands what that is, because um, I like when, when when you say that the very first picture in my mind is, um, so I married an axe murderer. Remember Mike Myers doing? You know he'd stand up as like in the beatnik uh, poetry right, coffee right. shop, right? Totally. And, 
oh hey and like in that yeah, whole thing so totally. what so <laughs> when you think of like what is spoken word poetry compared to other things like what's an example of that or what's that like yeah well spoken word is an outgrowth from the uh the beat poet days of what mike myers was was parodying i mean it grew from that the jack kerouac and all the different people who were known in that phase and basically it evolved into just an art form and expression where, you know, I think a youth could speak to the challenges. Um, also people of color, you know, minorities, you get a lot of really people speaking to their challenges in an outlet for expression. And there's no real rules. Like it isn't like you have to rhyme or you can't rhyme or there's needs to be this particular meter. There's just like, it's just like you get a certain amount of time and you say something and if it's moving, you know, you get a reaction from the crowd. And if you do these contests, like which I did, which was poetry slams, you know, there's judges and you're getting judged and then you go to the second and third round and you might win the contest, which might mean something overall, but it's just poetry. Poetry yeah. slams. Is this sort of different probably, but like, is this sort of like the eight mile style? Like I'm going to go up and like do this spoken word and then someone else is going to come up like that sort of thing or totally it's different? like that, but that's a battle and that's more where you're doing it over a beat and you're really trying to put somebody down and you know, whoever okay. puts somebody down the bed, you know, with rhymes, the best way is going to be crowned the, the king of that. So it's a little more of like a deeper, like cutting competitive experience it's it's much more like um free form art in the spoken word world where while you're competing with someone you're never like directly turning to them and saying like things about people in general i'm sure a few people have broken gotcha. that rule but that's not generally how spoken word is or poetry right, so so a battle is like kind of one-on-one or you're going to like a political debate you're exactly. slamming it. Yeah. but a slam mm -hmm. that's where it's a competition but you're going up to just doing the best you can do and then yeah. someone else comes up and does the best they can do exactly um no rules that's so interesting so yeah no rules so, so does it tend to be because i've seen some of what you've done right like live in person at some mm -hmm. of the live events we've been at and the jv yeah. retreats and things um and i absolutely love it I, like the ability to do that is just off the charts awesome um, is it always because it felt kind of like more like a you know like like I guess I don't know live rapping yeah is it is that the same thing again or is it is no, the version I of it or evolved, how does that work like, I started out loving hip-hop and being really into it but not considering myself a rapper I was um, I was much more comfortable in the realm of being a spoken word poet when I started out um, so I was not uh, rapping to beats at any of that earlier time. I was more just writing what came from the heart. Often I rhymed. I always had things that like my thing was always been trying to like have really interesting rhyme patterns. So it was it was built or born from my love of hip hop because I was very into it. So it definitely has related. But later on, what happened was I basically put down the spoken word sort of dream and I ended up working with producers and really moving in the direction of being a rapper and putting myself out there on albums and doing music videos. So it's two different worlds, very related. A lot of the lyrics um, that I actually wrote as a spoken word artist, I would put to beats and I, they ended up becoming parts of songs because it's like the lyrics could still work in that setting of rap. But basically um, I started to move into really producing songs and writing songs. And that, that is where there is rules, right? Like, you know, we're spoken word, like you're sort of like, you might rhyme a certain way or you might stop rhyming, you might do whatever you want. Whereas with 
with songs, you, you have to, you have to have, you know, you have to have your verses and your choruses and the verses should match and the verses should have similar rhythmic patterns. Right. So there's, there's a way in which you suddenly are in a little bit more of a box when it comes to that. And that was hard for me for a while being somebody that was out of a box with spoken word, but mm -hmm. ultimately, and this is the third piece you're asking about, like freestyle rapping is then where you're still in a structure you've got the structure of the beat but you don't know what you're going to do you don't have a definite plan for a verse or a chorus or a verse <laughs> you're in a way it's kind of a mixture of the two because you could break the rules inside of a freestyle rap you might not even do a chorus you might just rap the whole time or you might do something where you start singing and whatever so there's freestyle is sort of that other piece where you know you've got the structure of the beat but you don't have any other rules really besides that wow so, so really, when, when did you first, was it college you, you mentioned? Did you start getting into yeah. any of that at all before college? Like what was high school like for you or, uh, or, or elementary school as far as artistic outlet goes? Yeah. So we went from crayons to like freestyle rap. <laughs> no, we, we cut some stuff out in the middle there. I, I, like I said, actually, I said I got into oil painting. And so okay. when I was in high school, I was in a class and we, I did an oil painting, ended up being in an art show. And it, and it sold. It was really like my first experience of being like a, like a professional artist. Like I and sold. How old were you then? Art. I was 16. Oh, cool. Yeah. So I was, I had some pretty good stuff as an artist too. And so I got into painting and when I, when I went to college, that's when I sort of shifted out of, you know, the art painting kind of world. But high school was my identity was more of, of an artist, like a painter or like mm -hmm. a, sketch artists like I like to do like sketches or um I like to do lettering like kind of like a graffiti artist but my own yeah. version right that's awesome w what about your mom you said she's taking museums what what did she do when you were growing up she's an interior designer so she uh was always just making homes and rooms and places look beautiful so she's very accomplished and so she kind of creates a zen environment and in, in any place that she works in so we always had these really nice um the homes that my mom we lived in were always even if they weren't big they were always like very comfortable like there was a zen vibe like she was just really cool and so she was really into spirituality and she mm -hmm. introduced me to a lot of the spirituality books and transformation type material that ended up really laying the bedrock for where I went in terms of being a coach and a speaker. Cause she just, she was just, she had a friend, a group of friends that were into like things like crystals and how you could control your dreams. And, you know, a lot of stuff that I think partially came out of the sixties, but also, yeah. um, you know, there was a genuine like ser searching for, you know, higher truths, et cetera. So she was introducing me to things like Marianne Williamson and um, Deepak Chopra and um, a variety of others that I ended up getting these books from my mom. And that's when I started to really find that became like a love of mine. Like I couldn't get enough of books like, you know, conversations with God and, and just books that really like opened me up to seeing that there was um, a way to, basically create your life how you wanted it to be and that really spoke to me and that's mm. something my mom introduced and was your dad into that too or was he mm. like hey go nuts have fun with it not my he, thing he was always like giving me a hard time about reading all of these spiritual books he was like uh -huh. you need to you know stop reading and go out and do and he just you know my dad's amazing like i think he lives in a lot of ways in accordance with spiritual laws in certain ways, some ways I think he's in conflict with them, but you know, he's, he's got a good thing going, being an artist, creating things from, you know, being very creative and, and generating 
beautiful stories and so forth. But he was always critical of that stuff. He didn't buy it, basically. So I kind of had those two forces always in my life. Right. It's kind of a little bit of a juxtaposition. Um, so, but you started gravitating towards your mom's side more than anything. No, my dad and I were very close. We were, we well, were just meeting as far as her spiritual side. The spirituality. I mean. Yeah. Mom, what she introduced me to regarding spirituality became like a central theme. In a sense, my mom brought me spirituality and my dad brought me art. Even though my mom, in a sense, is creative because of interior design, it's like those are the two big things that they kind of introduced me to. Yeah, I think interior design is interesting too, is because my, my wife went to interior design school, um, really wanted to get into that as a career. And it seems like there's kind of two different sides though. There's like the, like as a girl, she was like, oh, that'll be amazing. I get to design all these, these homes and, and art. And it was very creative. But when she got into it more on the commercial side, it was very much like measurements and math and how many, you know, how many bolts of fabric for these new chairs for a, totally. right. Yeah. And so it be, she was, she was like, God, I feel like an engineer. This is not yes. what I signed up for. Yes. Was your mom more on the, on the creative part of it or was she, more on the, I don't know, I guess, for lack of a better term, the engineering side, or did she? That's a really interesting thing that you bring up because my whole life I've had, and there's this conversation that I have all the time about like the difference between like the artist and the engineer, especially in our business and like, yeah. the coaching. like it's, it's constantly this thing. And so I never thought of until you just said that, that, that maybe that my mom is more engineer like than I even realized. Now I always know she's always been more organized. She's okay. always been, there's always been much more order. There's always been a much, much, a lot more logic, mm-hmm. um, a lot more kind of, I feel like linear kind of pathway and in the way that she operates, the way that she thinks, like kind of our conversation. So, whereas my dad was definitely creative, like it, it, you know, and I think of creative kind of like circular or just, just everywhere at once kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so she, I, I think she had a little of both. I think what she loves is she loves the creative side of it is having a vision for a space and bringing that to life. But you're right. Like in the day to day, she's dealing with, you know, drawing or hiring somebody who's you know, even better at art than her to draw the spec of a place and making sure that the dimensions match. And then she's negotiating with different people to make sure that she can get the best deals for the various things she's buying for her Mm. clients and so forth. So there is a lot more of kind of, I would say non-creative type of stuff in there, whether it's engineer or if it's just kind of like logical stuff you gotta do. She's, she's really good with that. Fascinating. Do you, do you think, did you pick up a lot of that too? Like what's, what's, what's your, uh, and this might be a loaded question, but your like time management, uh, project management kind of mentality, yeah. like for me, and mm-hmm. I, I love asking questions that, you know, kind of had hit a personal home yes. uh, for me. One of my, my biggest weaknesses my whole life has always been organizational management mm. and, and time management, right. And resource allocation and things like that. Just ever since I can remember, so for me, growing as an entrepreneur, it's, it's been one of the biggest struggles to focus on and to grow, right, as a strength, yeah. is being on time to things and being early to things and, and creating margin in my life where I can say I have time for this, time for that, and now I get to, you know, be with my family and I get to do my business and I get to all that kind of stuff. Have you found yourself where you like normally like organized or is that something that you also like as, as an artist, I, did you struggle with that too? I struggle with it. I struggle with it a lot. I, I had a lot of tendencies to be disorganized, uh, to be uh, late, um, to procrastinate, all, all kind of the typical things that I think uh, fall into the category of, of challenges with time management. 
Um, that being said, when I committed to learning it, mm-hmm. I, I got really good at it. Like I became like, I, I shifted that. That was a huge bedrock of, I think, what allowed me to, to grow as a coach and to, um, and to create success as, as a coach was that I early on in the process of learning coaching and so forth, I I dove into time management in a really focused way. And I started to build like really powerful um, skill sets in that area. I'm not perfect. There's a lot of things. And there's as a creative, for instance, like I can't stand the overall like project management experience. Like (laughs) I, I, I can't handle like Gantt charts or anything that is showing a lot of information in multiple places. Like I need like simple information in like one sheet of paper with like anything that I want is like, everything's got to be like siphoned into like one page. Here's my five-step blueprint. That's what I want. <laughs> yeah. Give me the simple, straightforward. I'm all about siphoning complex into simplicity, but I, if things are too complex, like I, it's out of sight, out of mind, I can't see it. So I've, I've struggled in, in certain ways with time management. I think planning has been one of them. Um, I think project management has been another one, but in terms of getting things done, in terms of being clear on here's projects that I want to work on, what's the highest leverage of those projects? What am I going to work on? What's the best task for me to do today? Am I going to finish this task to completion? Those things I've become like, like ninja, like, which has been Mm -hmm. a fun identity for me to step into as an artist. It's interesting. So it's that what I'm hearing too is, is like discipline and perseverance and follow through isn't necessarily the challenge. It's more the organizational structure of those things. Cause when you're, and I get yeah, the same thing, right? Exactly. When I'm motivated, I'm like, dude, let me get out there and crush it. And I'll, I'll like, I'll see this whole thing to the end. But if I lack motivation or if I, if I drop it for some reason, like, oh, I don't really care about that as much. It's really hard to follow through and like finish doing these daily tasks on a regular, I, I got to change. Um, <laughs> Do you, do you embrace change? Does, I, I would imagine you would in comparison to keeping the same routine. Like you said, your dad's still 530. I'm going to start typing and, yeah, right. you know, and writing. Are you a routine guy? Or are you uh, uh, more spur of the moment or more change? In, I'm in, really in- both. You know, what's interesting. And I think this is a theme that's starting to show up in this conversation and just in general for me in life is that I'm a real like blend between right brain, left brain. If those things even exist, that concept doesn't really, I don't think sure. science, science wise it holds up, but the concept of basically being more engineer, being more artist, right? Right. Like I'm really a blend. So like all these questions is kind of like, and like I am, um, I, I like that. routine and I also, I love when I crush the routine, I break it. In fact, if I don't break routine, I get really unhappy. So it's kind of like I need routine and I need to break routine. Like, um, like right now there is a desire to like shift my weekly sort of way that I've been setting up my calls. I've been thinking, okay, the best thing to do is basically I'm off Mondays and then Tuesday through Friday or whatever. I'm basically like, let's say 10 AM to five or something like that. And I've been like fitting calls in, in that structure. And then I started going, but during the day being like, I don't want to be in the office right now. Like I want to be like out, like, what if I like, created these pockets from like 10 a.m. to three where I'm like out at a coffee shop and I'm not doing phone calls and I do my calls from like three to six or something. Mm -hmm. I just started playing with that idea and I'm like, oh, that's what I need to do. So I'm like, I'm right in the middle of wanting to shift a routine so that I can, you know, find more, find more freedom and joy. That's so interesting. You know, I think uh, I've been doing the exact same thing in in a lot of ways. You know, I'm, uh, how long have you been at I mean, different renditions, but like at uh, the business, like when, when, 
we'll, we'll get to that in the whole story in a second, but how long you've been kind of at this whole thing? Nine years. Nine years, right? Yeah. So, so I've been doing 11 going on 12 years. So we're kind of in that similar boat where um, I, I've done enough that I can look back and go, yeah, well, that's what I've created. This is what I've accomplished. And, and, but I've been in business for 16 years, right? So I went from real estate for the first four and a half years. Um, then, but I've been doing coaching since 2006 and training and teaching and everything. And for the most part, everything has stayed the same, but I've internally or inside the systems, I've changed constantly what programs I offer, what the workshops are. Some have been born, some have died, um, but I'm always trying to shift those things and change them around. And it, it's almost like I'm trying to hit that desire, right? Where I want the sameness because I know, I know to be successful. At some point, you got to commit to something, follow it through and see it through and build a system and build a team around it. And that's what I've done. But to make sure I don't go stir crazy, it's like I also have to I have to shift it. Uh, in sometimes in the little things help a ton, you know. Yeah. Launching the podcast, it's one more expression of we have workshops, we have coaching, I have home study stuff, I have all these different things, uh, a new book, whatever. Um, so it, you could see it, it's just an extension. It's one more program or one more outlet. But the reality is, to me, for my day to day, it feels drastically different. Today I'm sitting here in the studio, you know, like. I get to do three interviews all afternoon with three awesome people. You're the first one. And that is a very different day than what a day used to be maybe six months ago. Right. Nice. Yeah. Um, so that's interesting. I just, yeah, I relate to that a lot. When well, I think you... it's important. I just, I think it's important. I think for people to, if they feel that energy that can feel a little like uh, stuck energy or stale, you know, you know, to really, you know, make a, plan to shift that because then you start I think you know resenting your space and then you know you bring that energy to to your business or whatever so I think it's critical to to do that so that's awesome well and and how messed up is it to to think to yourself I kind of don't like this it feels stale and stuck and I'm the one who created it yeah yeah it's like, <laughs> like I'm not uh, stuck in someone else's job like I made this for me sometimes people have to be like who chose this and you're like oh yeah I did <laughs> I put myself in a cubicle what am I doing yeah yeah it's really that's that yes like I'm putting myself in a job and this is what I got out of this for the... you know all right dude me and you right now let's quit we're done let's go yeah, go to um... Mexico yeah boom <laughs> No, um, but I mean, and that's what's funny thing is like to be able to have again an authentic conversation where it's like you can authentically say I love what I do, right? Because I know you love what you do, yeah. but there's elements that you can get tired of and go look. I'm a human man. Like I know I set it up. I don't like this anymore. I want to change this and and to have the freedom and the creativity to say, well, how else could I do this life? Yeah, how else could I do this business? I love serving the clients, but maybe I don't want to do what I used to do. I think, I, don't want to do it I think that's a time management principle, to be honest with you. I think that's hmm. the principle of improving systems. Okay. Right? So like a broken system needs, an, it needs just like a, an operating system for a Mac computer or whatever. Like it needs to be upgraded. Like there's always the next one. Like there's an evolution of every system. Like, oh, it used to, like for instance, outside where we have this balcony in our, in our place, there is, uh, there used to be like a table with these chairs. It was kind of uncomfortable. And there wasn't a lot of space to move. It was kind of, and then my wife was like, let's get rid of this. And like, we ordered this couch that was like really streamlined, created this space. Now we put these little pads down there so my son can play. And like, we, I'm sitting there going, why did it take us two years to shift this system? Like, this is a, like now I want to sit out here. So like we elevated the system by looking at, we didn't like the energy of it. 
And I think that that's what we have to do all the time. Look around our house. This flow of this, the way my furniture is, doesn't work. Or, you know, I, I'm not, it's not easy for me to get the files when I'm sitting at my computer. Like, I got to get the, a better file thing that's rolling. Like, what are the systems right. to improve to make our life better and more streamlined? I think that's what feels like is underneath that to me. That's so good. I love that. Now, I do want to ask, so when you were in kind of high school, college, did you have a thing you wanted to be? Like, what did you think you were going to do for a living? Yeah. Or was it open or you go, I'm going to be this? What, what was your experience throughout high school, maybe into college? Uh, I wanted to be basically a successful white rapper. Like I wanted to be Eminem before Eminem was known. Like I was right. trying to be that. Like, and then Eminem came out and I was like, damn, like, but I was still pretty young at that point. Like that was like 96. Okay. What were you going to say about him? He's me. Like what the heck? <laughs> no, he's so not me because, you know, no, I didn't come from the hood and all that stuff, but yeah. or whatever the trailer park. But, um, you know, I was aspiring to do that since I was, you know, coming out of high school, basically. Like I wanted, I had this vision of being like rocking stages and, and, and all this stuff. So that, that's what, and before that, I wanted to be an actor as a young, as a, as a boy, I was always like, I want to be an actor. It was always about being, on stage or being on camera it was always um so then it was about trying to make it in music you know and that became mm -hmm. really my focuses for a long time so went from so we went from acting to uh to wanting to be the white rapper yeah wanted to be the, yeah exactly so when eminem came, what was your first reaction when eminem came out was it was it dang like now he did it so i can't or because i could also see the opposite of like dang he already did it and then wait a minute he's paving the way that means like maybe i can go too it was kind of both. Um, I really admired his rapping skill. So a lot of it was just like admiration. I was like, damn, like this guy's insane. Like, I wish I was this good. Like this guy's so good. Like there was, there was that where I just felt like I bowed down. I was like, see, he's like superior skill, like amazing, like kind of thing. He's crazy talented. Yeah. So I, I was, you know, I wasn't as jealous because I was like, I can't do that. <laughs> like, um, so I didn't really have that. I was kind of like admiring, but at the same time, there was this feeling of, I don't know, there's a slight bit of like jealousy. I, it's been a while since I felt that way. So it's almost hard to tap into it, but there definitely was a little bit of like, Oh, he got there. Somebody got there first a little bit, but again, he was so good that I didn't really have that so much. Right. And at what point did you kind of transition into, cause I know a lot of your career was, it is and was selling teaching sales. Uh, I know you're trained by Tony Robbins. Um, how old were you when you kind of got into, Hey, maybe I'm going to do this. And what did that look like? Was it, did you get a job somewhere? Did you start your first business or? I was in high school and I did, I uh, had, I got to skip a bunch of the requisite classes by taking the senior project, which only like six or maybe eight people got to do. Mm -hmm. And so what that meant is that I had to do, I go skipping science and math classes, which ended up like not being good in the, as a business owner. But at the time, I was like, <laughs> yeah, I don't do these things. Who's ever going to need to do accounting and keep their yeah, book? Exactly. So I, I for that. Oh yeah. Oh good. Uh, so <laughs> I basically had to do this presentation in front of my class as the kind of, uh, the final of this senior project. And so I could do it on anything. And there was a book called, uh, the precious present and the precious present is a book about a guy who was told that he's got this present and he, he, his whole life, he's like, I can't 
he can't, the present never comes or he never gets the, the present and he's always waiting for it. And then he's like 40 years old or he's 50 years old and he stops looking, right? And he, that's when he gets, you know, the present, the precious present, right? Uh. It's all about the present moment. So I started, I was so inspired by that book and I just talked, but the funny thing was I forgot my notes. And so I actually had to be present and just come off the top. I was like, it was interesting. And so it was way better because I didn't have notes. And basically somebody came up to me afterwards and said, you remind me of Tony Robbins. This was a kid I knew from school. And it struck with me. I didn't really know who Tony was at that point. And then I just went on a journey. I bought his books and I bought some of his tapes and I started listening. I started getting kind of inundated with this idea of coaching. And then I put it aside, I pursued music. But basically at a certain point, I was still called by this desire to do that. I mean, people like Wayne Dyer were big influences of mine at that time. And I was like, I want to be like that. Like, I want to, I want to help people and change lives. I don't want to just, just do lyrics that people kind of understand what I'm saying. All my lyrics were always about uplifting people. So it was kind mm -hmm. of like, I was always trying to do transformation through my lyrics anyway, but I was like, I want a more direct route. And so at a certain point when music became stale, right, I actually was like, I'm going to go in this direction. I moved to Hawaii and I got trained um, through a company that basically teaches Tony's technologies and um, I, I started this, this path, but yeah, it started well, you, way earlier. You moved to Hawaii? I did. I, How I old were you when you played. moved? Oh, it was, this was, uh, 2010. So this was, um, you know, seven years ago. 30, okay. So you know, whatever. Thirties. Yeah. Yeah. So I was like 33 or something like that. And were you married then? No, no. My, my girlfriend at the time moved there with me mm -hmm. and then we got married there. Oh like, my gosh! After like two or three years of being there, yeah. Wow, and and uh, and that's awesome. I know you have you have two children, right? I have one and one on the way. Oh, okay. One cooking in the oven right now. Uh, what's uh, when's the due date? Pretty soon. September, I think, fourteenth. Oh my gosh! Yeah. Oh my gosh! Yeah. It's crazy. How far? How far apart are the kids gonna end up being? A little less than two years. And my so so my wife and I have one kid. Right, he's seven mm -hmm. years old. And uh, I've talked about this a lot. Every time when I find someone has a kid or two kids, like the question I always ask when I was out with Val as a baby, every time I saw someone with two kids, it was like, well, how far apart are they? And then I asked, how is that for you? How do you like that? Is it awesome? What's it like? And I'll tell you this, man. I was always so curious on how, you know, a year and a half, a year, two years, three years, four years, what was, is there a magic number? And what was it? And most of the answers were, if it was if it was close, it was like, hey, it's hard, but it's awesome. Um, but they always love that. Are you excited about about having like the two kids like this close? Um, you know, the whole friendship idea. Are you? Ha, what's the feeling inside as, as the new baby's coming? Uh, well, I'm excited in like sort of projecting into a few years. I'm not really like super excited at the moment, just to be honest. I mean, I'm, I'm always, I'm, I don't mean to say I'm not excited about this no, child I'm, coming into the world. I am. I'm excited to meet this, this young baby boy, but I'm mm. really in the throes of experiencing what it's like to have a child with my uh, oh, 17 month old. And it's, it's a lot. Like I'm, I'm struggling a bit with dealing with the level. I mean, he's hit terrible twos basically early. So I'm <laughs> dealing with that is, it's really hard. Like he wake, he woke up today. He got, he has a little cold, but he woke up today at like mm. four 
and he's just screaming bloody murder. And I'm like, I feel like my head is pounding. I can't, you know what I mean? My wife, luckily she got up and she's been really like shouldering a lot of it, but I, but it's just like, it's just like, it's an intense, like, like screaming things that I'm like, I'm not into chaos. And so it's hard. It's hard to be honest with you. I'm trying to get my bearings still. So another one coming on top of this is freaking me out a bit. You're like there's two of them screaming. Oh, yeah. the diapers. Oh, that, that's uh, that is so true. Well, I I can tell you. I know I only have one child, but it does get better. Okay. <laughs> I remember someone telling me I Val was like one year old, and and one of our one of my students came at some point. He was just every time I talked about how you know my baby, he would always just had this big smile, and he was like one of the proudest dads I'd ever met in my entire life. He like his mission on earth was to be a great dad, and he just loved being a father. And I'll never forget this. He looked at me and he said, man, it gets better every single day. And it just, it, it never left me. And it's been true every day, right? As Val's gotten older, it's like, as amazing as it is to have a baby, like a toddler, how much more, how cool is it with personality? Yeah, totally. That is like three years old as a man. He starts to read. It's like, are you kidding me? There's so much right. stuff. Man, me and Val just finished playing Gears of War 4 and Xbox in the campaign all the way through. We beat the entire game. I'm sitting there <laughs> next to my son play, shooting aliens. I'm like, this is awesome. That is good. I can right? see that, yeah. So I loved it when he was a baby, but I love him at seven and I can't wait till eight. And, uh, so I'm excited for you guys. It's going to be you. really, really. Yeah. Cool. It's, it's all going to be like beautiful and amazing. And I, and I love him too so much and I yeah. have great moments with him. It's just, you know, there's some, there's some growing pains for me in this new world. <laughs> well, and, and that, and that's the, uh, you know, that's the honest truth that, that it's okay to talk about all of it. Like I can say, I love my son, but dang it, it's really hard in these times. And, but all of that is true at the same time. And it doesn't mean anything. It's just, it's what it is, you know? Absolutely. So how old were you when, when you got into that? So you got into Tony Robbins and then at what age did you decide, you know what, maybe I'm not going to be a rapper for a career. Maybe I'm going to move into the sales thing. Was, was it a definitive decision of like, you know what, that's not going to be my career. I'm going to do this for a career. Or was it a, yeah. kind of like the, the actor uh, waiter kind of syndrome where you said, I'm going to do this now, but I really still have this goal of, of or of rap or acting or whatever again it's kind of an and um there <laughs> there is uh there was a clean cut decision to let go of the the intention of making my music happen the way i was doing it and when i was doing it i let go of bands i let go of partnerships okay. um i had a lot going i had a website i had you know i had albums i had a lot of things that i had built that i just decided to, to let go of wow um, and so you I, really went after it I went after it. You know, I had even the music video that I had done for my album was only maybe six or eight months old when I quit. Like I wow. was, I had, it wasn't that long before that I had been like really serious, but the whole time I was starting, starting to eat me up inside. And I remember cause you know, Facebook was around then and I put on Facebook my, my post. I remember cause it was like, I'm not giving up. I'm giving in. That was my post at that time. That's when I sort of made the transition and people didn't understand what I meant, but I basically meant like, I'm not giving up on this, but like there's something that's calling me to do that's bigger and I'm going to give into that and I'm going to follow that. And so again, it's an and because I didn't quite, I didn't fully give up. I never said I'm never doing music again, but I did say I'm not focusing on music right now. And it, 
was something where it was kind of like, if you love something and you let it go and it comes back, then it's meant to be kind of thing. Cause I was like, if this thing's meant to be like, I, I'm going to let it go because music had become stale. I had, I had, there was too much pressure. There was too much, it became a job and it wasn't producing enough of a return on my investment for me to feel like it was a worthwhile job. So I, uh, I just stopped and then, you know, I focused on coaching and it took a while for it to come back. Like it, it started to come back like six, six years later. Like it really was, I really dropped it. And then it started to really start coming up. And especially like when I started going to like um, the Thrive Academy JV thing where you and I connected and so forth. Um, that was when jet, that and, and getting into some of these transformation communities, they started asking me to come on stage and rap. And when I started seeing that when I was rapping on stage for like coaches and, and healers and transformational people, that the message and the vibe was just as impactful to them. Like they were giving standing ovations. There was this mm -hmm. like, they were, it was connecting. It was kind of like coming full circle. And it was like the art that I had done, the, the music and so forth, it was working inside of this world. And that's when I started getting the ideas that it could come back and that there could be a blend between the two. That is so cool. And so was it early on then? Because you got into, you were doing high ticket sales and that's something you've become really good at. I know you've, you've worked uh, train, either training, teaching or working for uh, doing sales, high ticket sales for some pretty prevalent coaches. Yes. with Ted McGrath, Lisa Sasevich, Marissa Murgatroyd. Yes. Um, and, the, and these are people who have, I don't know how to say it, like do really well, right? Totally. You know, uh, large scale sales uh, in the business. What did it take to transition, if, if it was a transition, from the artist part of you to like a sales person? And I'm yeah. willing to bet you didn't see yourself question. as a salesperson, but no. What, what was that like for you to say, okay, this is what I do now. I, I do high ticket uh, <laughs> enrollment uh, programs and sales. It feels very different to me, but I'm curious what your experience is. It is different was. because the classic thing of an artist is the starving artist, right? So it's sure. like, it's like it's, the juxtaposition is quite crazy. Like starving artists, high ticket sales, like those are like two worlds, right? So um, for me, I, I actually was really... Uh, uh, not a fan of sales. Like I, I hated it. I hated the fact that I had to do it. I felt uncomfortable. I'll never forget when I did a mock sales conversation with kind of an accountability partner early on. And he was like, you sound like the used car salesman. And I was like, Oh no, I hate that. I've always hated anybody trying to like, you know, kind of hard close me and I don't want to be that. Um, so there was a lot of, there was a lot of growing pains in that. But what I found was, is that there was a breakthrough point where I was learning how to do handling objections and I did a mock uh, conversation with a person in a, in, a, in a little mastermind group that I was in because I had a client, a, a prospective client who had backed out after saying yes. And she also agreed to have a, a conversation with me about it. So I had this call coming up with somebody who had backed out and I had used this mastermind as a chance to sort of role play what I would say. Mm -hmm. And I promised myself in that role play that I wouldn't look at any scripts and I would just come from the heart. Mm -hmm. And there was just this unbelievable like, Thing that happened it was kind of like when I didn't have the notes for the moment and the guy said it was I was like Tony Robbins this is an interesting theme of how like when I stop using scripts like something powerful comes through me but basically I uh I I just I just freestyled 
this moment with this with this uh, with this mastermind partner, and I found myself in this like neo like state where like there was trust in myself to answer and say things and sort of be authentic while you know and hold space for this person without being pushy and this like fluid thing that I and it was kind of magical because I transformed her objection. I was like, I told her, I was like, don't make it easy for me. Like, I want you to push, push. And she pushed. And at the end it was like, I, she couldn't win. Like I was, I was too good at it. And we, I basically, I, I overcome the objection in this mock thing. And I went and I did it in real world with this prospective client and she ended up working with me and backing hmm. out of her back out plan. So it was in that where I was like, I'm really natural at this. This is like freestyle rapping to me. Like this is something that like I just need to be me. And then I started to like just focus on that. Like I did a webinar where one of the things I was talking about was sales. Like I had the five keys and the fifth one was like sales. And I had all this feedback that that one key was the most helpful for people. And I just made a decision to focus all my energy there. And I cut out like the the other like client attraction focuses. And then I- So what what was the one key? What was the fifth key? The fifth key was, it was, it was, it was, it, at that point, it was like, you know, transform objections, like by being present or something like that. It was, okay. it was about objection handling and, uh, or maybe it was about, I don't remember. It was, it was about sales or maybe it was about objection, but whatever it was, it was like, this is the thing I have, like, I should focus my energies on. Gotcha. And I just started going there and, you know, obviously being successful in my own sales through those years, like between that point on that web and like between the point that I uh, had that mock conversation and that webinar was like four years or three years or something. I went on a track of just closing sales, like, like seriously, like on a consistent basis, like all the time. Like I, I closed, like I didn't have a lot of leads. So I would close like the leads I had, like at an incredible rate. Like if I had six people that I had a strategy session with in the month, I had four or five of them would become clients. Like it was, I was amazingly good at a small pool mm-hmm. of the people that I had. And so I just, I started to um, really feel confident in my ability to sell high ticket. And I just, and then I started, you know, st- selling for some of these leaders and my confidence grew. I sold, you know, huge packages and I started to feel like, wow, like there's some, like I, I when I was working with Ted McGrath, there was four people or five people on the sales team. And we had a contest because he was in a launch, but after the launch, they made an upsell to be in his mastermind. So we were getting all these calls and long story short, like we had a great team and I was the one that sold the best of everybody. And that blew me away. Cause I, I sold $255,000 of coaching in four wow. weeks. Wow. And that was like maybe 50,000 more than the best person behind me. And I was like, I think I was looking up to some of these guys and I realized like I crushed like that team. And I was like, damn, like I'm good at this. <laughs> wow. Dude, that's incredible. Over a quarter million dollars in, in coaching sales in four weeks. Yeah. So, so you've, how much do you think if you had to guess in total program sales for you and for others combined, how much do you think you've sold at this point as far as like these high ticket sales? Could you guess? Mm, it would probably be like 1.5 million or something like that. That's, that's yeah. so much. Yeah. And, and some of the, and what's, what's the range of price point? I don't, I don't want to know prices for anyone in particular, but like what's kind of a, a low price point in your mind when it comes to high ticket sales and what's the highest you've sold as like a single package? I think the bottom line is 2K and the highest I've sold is 100K. <laughs> right. So I'm just sitting there talking to Sean. Yeah, hundred thousand dollars. I want to go for that program, and he goes, "Yeah, that's a good idea." Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It takes a special person, and you know, there's some things 
you need to indoctrinate, you know, in order to, that's on a single call with a person I never met before. So on one call in 45 minutes, closing a wow. hundred thousand. Yeah. That's insane. Um, at what point did you just, did you start teaching this? And cause I, I think, uh, for me, when I look at the industry we're in, which I don't know, whatever you want to call it, I call it the expert industry or the coaching industry or transformation, whatever it is. Um, there's a bunch of different names, but I think there's, there's this funny thing going on where there's some people, especially with Facebook ads and with, with what we can do now with a reach, you have some people that are really incongruent, meaning they haven't done what they're teaching yet you know, their, their very first business, I'm going to teach you how to make $500,000 like I did. Well, where, where did you make that? Doing Facebook ads. What are you going to do? I'm going to teach you Facebook ads. <laughs> yeah, totally. so the only money you've made, right? It's like a book on how to read. It just doesn't, it, to me, it just doesn't make sense, you know? Right. I agree. But then there's this other track where you can find a ton of authentic experts and mentors that are legit experts that, you know, uh, what different levels of experience. But like for me, like I didn't start teaching say NLP on stage for speaking and, and leadership until I'd put on well over 150 workshops. And so when I think of that, I go, okay, I didn't genuinely feel comfortable doing that until I had done it so many times that I said, Hey, look, I guess I am good at that. Now let me teach it. Um, up until then I wasn't doing workshops on speaking. I was doing workshops on personal development, mm -hmm. which I had been applying for myself for years. So for you, I, what I love about you is you had been doing high ticket sales, working on that, creating that, like, you know, creating real results yeah. across the board for other yeah. people, for yourself. Uh, at that point, did you get into like teaching that? Did you ever do workshops on it? What, yeah. what was your, that, that look like? Yeah, I did. I did workshops, webinars, um, training programs. I have, mul I have multiple courses on sales. Um, and also, you know, doing kind of guest classes or lectures for, for other experts. You know, sometimes I'll be mm -hmm. um, supporting other people in the industry, doing a couple calls for them or whatever. Um, so yeah, everything you can think of signature talk. Um, so yeah, I built, I built a lot of assets around high ticket sales awesome. that I've taught. And, and recently you've had, had some, some kind of big and cool changes. So your company's yes. a creative track. I talked yes. about that in the opening. Um, now you're moving back is the wrong word, but I feel like you're moving forward into incorporating a lot of the who you really are and what you had had in the past into what you're doing. So tell me about kind of the current, what creative track is and what that's all about. Yeah. Again, like it's interesting, things come full circle. And I think for anybody who's, who is, you know, either in the early part or somewhere in their expert path listening, and you've gone through the niche conversations, who am I here to serve? And there's a lot of pressure to try to lock in what you're doing now. I will say that, you know, things evolve, things change. You start to get a clearer picture as you go. So like, don't look from a perspective, a perfection lens. Um, for me, I definitely, it's been a moving target a little bit and an animal that's grown with me. But basically, um, I have, you know, like I said, kind of brought back my art. I brought back my music. And what happened was I had a live event, you know, as you know, in this live event, I had a choice. I was either going to do it on sales and transformation, or I was going to do it on this new thing that was calling me for a long time, which yeah. was to teach, uh, people how to merge their creativity and their business together to create a unique business that's unlike anything out there. Hmm. Uh, I, I was struggling with this issue of, of what made me unique because I had studied from so many mentors uh, and 
became somewhat of a carbon copy of a lot of these people. I was like a merger of these people that I'd studied. And so there was this calling within me to um, really figure out how I could show more of who I am. I've got this background as an artist and a rapper, and I've got a lot of unique perspectives, and yet they're not showing up in my business. And what I was seeing is that others were experiencing that too. They were in a box, especially creatives, feeling like you know they had to pick a niche and they had to follow this track because that's what everyone said is viable, and they couldn't listen to their heart that they were called to do something else. And because no one had done that something else, there was this no path, there's no mentor to follow to go there. There's because so basically, I started to think about like, wow, how powerful is this idea of innovation of creating something that has yet to come like, so hmm. much of our industry teaches the idea of modeling and modeling is critical as a phase yeah. in entrepreneurship. But I believe and this goes back to something we talked about earlier, that at a point, if you don't be if you don't break out of something that becomes stale, right? If you don't break out of like just being a modeling of something else, you basically create a new job. Like your entrepreneur business becomes a job where hmm. you're beholden to structures that basically are holding you in place. And you're like, I have to do this and I have to do my business like this. And I have to be this type of entrepreneur because this is what my, my, my coach said that I, I have. It's like, but what does your intuition say? Like, what do you really want to do? What is the day of the week? You know, do you want to work from three? You know, do you want to be off from 10 to three? Like, what do you want to do? Mm -hmm. um, what kind of speech do you want to do? Do you want to share something deeper? Do you want to do, or you have to do the rote three keys to this? Like, right, so there's all these templates and stuff that we learn. So I started to like really get excited about this idea of innovation. And, the, and I made a decision to do my event on the thing that was risky, but calling me, which was what became Rock Your Gift. And so Rock Your Gift is really that message. It's that message of what is that gift inside of you that's trying to come through? It's, I believe whether you, know, you are somebody that associates with being creative or somebody like yourself that says you don't have a creative bone in your body, I believe that we're all creative. And I believe whether you look at it as a passion, like I know you like mountain climbing, right? Or you look at it as an art form, uh, that there is something that brings us alive that when we're doing we're in flow state and when we merge that whether it's you doing coaching let's say on the side of a mountain or you use mountain climbing as a metaphor within your business so that it becomes like kind of a, a part of your persona or a, or a metaphor for, for what freedom is for you then you start to blend those two worlds and it becomes a, 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 a new unique business that, you know, is different than anything else out there when any, anyone blends their art or their passion with their business. So that, that's what this became. And the more that I started focusing on it, the more it became like this incredible unveiling of something that I was called to do. And as I was on stage at the event, I was like present to, this, this, the fact that business and entrepreneurship is so much like art. It's so much like a canvas where it's blank and you don't know what you're going to do. And you start throwing stuff against it. Like I was talking about with niching, like, you know, just try this thing, like put yourself out there and then stand back and be like, you know, work with some clients in that niche and be like, I don't know, I need a little more red paint over here, a little more green paint over here, right? And you're right. like, I think I wanna try this other thing. And you start working with sales instead of just client attraction. So like, there's this art that's emerging, this, this evolving thing that's trying to come through. And if we get too stuck on what we're supposed to do and don't listen to what we are called to do, then I think we get stale, business starts to decline and our happiness starts to decline. And I think what I'm calling forth is this idea of, creating business from a clean fuel empowered place where you merge what you love and what you know your your expertise is into one and doing so there's nobody that can duplicate you
So that's, that's where, where I've been in terms of this new direction. Wow. And I, I love something you just said was, you know, stop doing what you're supposed to do and start doing what you're called to do. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But like what, what a paradigm shift, you know, to, to go, wait, because I, I think some of us are thinking like, am I called to do something? Mm-hmm. And, and what does that look like? You know, um, mm-hmm. I know for me, I have a lot of, uh, a lot of personal life shifts going on right now as, as we're going through some spiritual evolution. And I know my wife and I are really called into ministry and into that work. So we're, uh, I don't know if you saw my Facebook yet or the podcast from a couple episodes ago, I did see a couple but things. we're going to be moving across the country. And a big part of that is going, wow. what are we called to do? And I know, I know that the next phase of life, it might be 10 years from now, right? But I know that it's going to be a different level uh, and different work within like in, in ministry work, right? Uh, working for God. And I love that. So I'm, am I going to stop doing this? No. Is it going to change? Of course it is, right? At some point, um, there's going to be some changes this year, more changes next year. And the whole thing, that's what evolution is to me, is always constantly evolving ourselves and evolving what we're doing and why we're doing it. Right. Um, so I, I love that. It's like, I feel like, I feel like there's some change in the air. Yeah. It's not just me. It's not just you. Uh, like Totally. Almost everyone I'm talking to right Everybody. now. Everybody. We're recording this at 2018 and like there's season shifting coming and uh, I'm excited for it. Um, I, I'm excited to, uh, man, I wish we'd go on for another hour, but we are, uh, I know your time is very valuable and we are just about at that time. So thank you for spending so much time with me uh, today. Absolutely. I genuinely appreciate it. Um, you're in San Diego, California, just down the street from me for now, right? About an hour yeah, and a half right, away. Right. Um, if people want to find you, where can we, where can we find you? What's the best way to stay connected if they have questions about whether it's high ticket sales, whether it's the creative track work, whether it's an artist figuring out how to, how to integrate that and, and make money. Like I can't think of a better mentor and coach in your life than Sean Douglas Stewart, different than Sean Stewart, the son of Rod Stewart. Is that right? <laughs> yeah, it's quite different. Yeah. 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 Before, we went, before we went to tape, you were saying that you guys actually grew up in the same, uh, same town, same area. Yeah. And, I lived for a long time with the, the, the kind of the doppelganger Sean Stewart in my world. That's kind of why, I, that's not kind of why, that's a big part of why I put the Douglas in. I mean, my middle name is Douglas, but like, that's why I go that's by Sean Douglas. Well, and that's the acting world, right? Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> yeah, one. So if, you, if you're Googling, make sure you Google Sean Douglas Stewart and you'll find the creative track. Um, so if we want to find you, where can we find you? And, uh, and what's a good first step to, to connect with you? Should they... Yes email you, Facebook you, stop at your house. What are you looking for? Yeah. So I would say, first of all, if you want to connect with me, you should go to my Facebook page, which is facebook, you know, dot com forward slash Sean Douglas Stewart, pretty simple. And it's Sean with S-E-A-N and Stewart, you know, pretty simple S-T-E-W-A-R-T. But uh, just go ahead and go there and you'll see that there's an opportunity for you to jump on a call with me if you felt like it. You'll see right at the top left of that page, it'll just give you an opportunity to jump on a call Um, You can see the link there, so I won't read that. But what I will also say for those of you that are in a place where um, you want to uh, take your sales to another level and design maybe even higher ticket packages or raise your rates or really like, you know, create a a very valuable offer. Mm -hmm. um, I put together a really cool free gift that grew out of work I've done with my clients. They were asking for this and I call it the diamond package designer. And this is just a five-step process, simple process. And it'll take you through exactly how to design your diamond and your platinum. In other words, your high end and kind of your, your medium tier offers and how to kind of price them and all that good stuff. So if you want that, if that's helpful to you, then the other thing you could do besides my Facebook page is just go to tinyurl 
tinyurl.com forward slash design your diamond. All one word, design your diamond. So tinyurl.com forward slash design your diamond. And uh, that'll give you that awesome tool. Awesome. Dude, thank you, Sean. That's very cool. You're welcome. Uh, I actually am going to go there right now because that uh, is just what I want. That sounds really Perfect. awesome. Excellent. Uh, so, so we'll stick the links for your social media and, uh, and, and this website and everything. So if you want to grab a gift, grab it. That's awesome. If you want to connect with Sean, that is very cool. Not a lot of people say, Hey, just schedule a call and I'd be happy to chat. Um, that's outstanding too. Um, Sean, thank you so much for, for being on, um, final question as we wrap up and, uh, yeah, I've been thinking about this a lot for myself and I'm curious your answer. If you could talk to a 17, 18 year old you, what advice would you give knowing what you know now? And if you could go back and change anything, what would you change or would you leave it all the same? What I would say is don't worry about how much it might hurt someone or impact someone or basically don't let people pleasing get in the way from doing what it is that you really want, whether it's to go up to that girl or if it's to go up to you see somebody famous and you want to let them know that you admire them or that you would love to connect with them. Or if there's something where you want something, but you feel held back, like you're not worthy or, you know, it's going to cause a problem or, you know, whatever it is that you want like go for what you really want and bust through whatever the blocks are, because there are going to be blocks. You're going to have something come up in your stomach. You're going to feel fear when you're up against something you want, but you're going to be so happy and proud of yourself if you build yourself into somebody that always does what you want and goes for what you want doesn't mean sacrificing or hurting others I don't I want to make that really clear what it means is that you listen to your calling and you make that really important to follow in every place in your life and if I would if I if I could, you know would I change anything I wouldn't change anything I, I think mm -hmm. that would be a place of regret. I'm proud of the steps I've taken. I think everything is happening for a reason. And sometimes I wish that certain things were different, but I think that's all part of what I'm supposed to grow into. And there, where there, everything, the challenges are, you know, in the good, they're, they're happening, you know, because of exactly where I'm at at this point in time. So I'm grateful for this moment. And I think it's all about um, just growth and whatever the next phase is for me, I'm ready for it. I just have to, I have to grow, I have to grow up to become better and stronger and happier and whatever is necessary to achieve what I want. So that's what I'd say. Well, there you go. Wouldn't change a thing. Yeah. Love that. Sean, cool. thank you so much for your time, brother. Thank Appreciate you, Matt. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks to Sean Stewart for coming out and hanging out with me over the Zoom for the pod. Man, that was so much fun. So Sean, if you're listening to your own episode, thank you, sir. It has been an honor and a privilege knowing Sean. He is one of the good guys. Um, I've known him for years and he's just, his heart's in it. He cares deeply about his customers, clients, uh, and really, like, he is who he says he is. He is the artist deep, deep inside, and he, you know, I would almost, if I was describing Sean for you to meet him the first time, I'd say he's an, he's an entrepreneur in an artist's body, or an artist in an entrepreneur's body, you know. He loves doing the business, he's great at it, and he's really, really good. But if you cut him, he bleeds art. He bleeds poetry. He bleeds rap, music, uh, the whole thing. So if you ever get a chance to meet Sean, make sure you do. And you can find out about Sean if you want to follow him. You can find out all things Sean Stewart and what he's up to at thecreativetrack.com. 
It's thecreativetrack.com. He is Sean Douglas Stewart. So there's a lot of Sean Stewarts. He's Sean Douglas Stewart. You can find him. We'll put all of his uh, Facebook and Instagram and all the social media uh, links up in the show notes. But you can find him at facebook.com slash Sean, that's S-E-A-N, Douglas Stewart. Okay, Sean Douglas Stewart. So make sure you follow him and uh, and grab what he has. He's a, he's a really, really good dude. He has some smart stuff. And if you are, in fact, a creative entrepreneur, you are going to want to stay connected with Mr. Sean. All right, that's it for me this week. We uh, Let's see, it's Friday, so by the time you're listening to this, we should be getting back through England and back into Wales and finishing up this, this UK uh, holiday extravaganza. So I will check back in with you uh, next week. Enjoy your weekend. As always, get out there and crush it. Enjoy life. Enjoy business. Take the shot. Make something happen. Get up and go do it. Have a good weekend.